you know, the, the language development issue is, is cuts to my core. My, I began my career uh, as an ESL migrant teacher. I also taught special needs students at the very beginning. I've always been a, one to believe that uh, fundamentally, if all teachers have, you know, good training in those areas, especially uh, special needs as well as language development, they're going to be ready to help all types of students and especially EO students. Okay, Dr. Adrian Johnson, uh, welcome back to our In This Together docuseries. This is our second interview with you. This is um, really exciting because you're the first that we're bringing back to see kind of what happened a couple weeks uh, after we talked for the uh, initial interview. And last time we spoke, you all were getting ready to implement a plan that called for either four or possibly eight weeks of remote learning, which started on August 17th. So you're still very early into that journey like everything else, but I'm going to ask you a very broad start. And that is, how are things going so far? So far, so good, Steve. Thank you for asking. We're, we did start on the 17th, and we did start what we call Hearn Online. And I was pleasantly surprised at how well our students and parents and staff were able to get online and begin the teaching and building the relationship process. We had some very good contact with our students and with our teachers working with them over the first few days of Hearn Online. Obviously, there were some glitches and gremlins out there that we had to deal with, but for the most part, they were minor for those who chose to be online. And we're still working through the challenges of those who do not have certain connectivity uh, abilities, and we've got a plan to help address that as we move forward. But for the first week and three days, I am extremely pleased with the progress we've made in going online. Well, good. That certainly bodes well for others who are a little bit behind you. I know up here in the Northeast schools haven't started yet, and we still have a few more weeks. So it's going to be great to hear these initial uh, sort of success stories as we start. Um, you know, you, you talked about the glitches and the gremlins, and, and it's one of those things where I've heard a few people talk about this as they've gotten started, that that's actually been a good learning experience as well for moving forward. That's going to happen. You know, so having a positive attitude um, I think is key as you move forward with that. One of the things that, that, that you just mentioned uh, and that we talked about last time is sort of a unique challenge of a rural district like yours. You have some students who are kind of completely off the grid and that they don't have Wi-Fi access. And there's also, you don't have the ability to use hotspots because there's no cellular. So you were talking originally about a plan to provide devices with material um, sort of already downloaded um, for students. So how has that been playing out in this first sort of initial phase of, of going back remotely? Yes, we do know what students and where they live that have connectivity issues, and we are trying to address those. It's, a, it's interesting that some of the students have been able to find workaround solutions using their own cell phones, which have many cases have hotspots on them, and they do get some coverage. But we know there are some that's just in areas that are just really difficult. And so, yes, our teachers and our staff are working on getting them material uh, that might be more paper and pencil driven. And also, we're still opening up our facilities with our learning centers where they can come in and work in the school using our virtual labs there in the school setting. And we did receive some students, and as well as some of our staff students who are coming to school while their parents are working and actually having a space in school where they do have connectivity and can get online and stay with their current classes as they continue 
working through the regular program that is turned online. And that also seems to be somewhat of a trend that I'm seeing, you know, not not in just rural areas, but all areas as well, where teachers are reporting to buildings to do their remote learning from their classrooms in many cases. And because many of those uh, parents do have children of their own, they are allowing those children to come into schools um, with them. And that sounds like it's something that's that's happening there. So my first question is, are the teacher, and I didn't ask you this last time, so I'm glad we brought it up. Are your teachers reporting to school and teaching from their classrooms at this point? We're given that, we're still leaving that option to the campus principal and the teacher to make that decision. We do have quite a few teachers that have chosen voluntarily to come to school and teach from schools from their classrooms. They tend to believe they have more resources and materials there as well. But as I was saying earlier, some teachers are having challenges with their own families or because of distance or just a concern and and the ability to get out again and start being in the public with their concerns about the, the virus and the spread of the virus have chosen to teach for home. And maybe they have some underlying conditions, but their ability to teach from home has not inhibited the ability of the children to be connected with them and to be learning in the process. So we have a little bit of both. I would probably say a majority of our teachers, close to the majority of our teachers are in the school sometime during that week. And then they also have the ability to teach from home as well. Great. And that allows the students to have some space that's supervised, but also socially distanced to come in if they need access to, to certain resources at the schools. I just think it's great that you're offering the choice. I know that I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but I know that there's been a lot of um, interesting sort of uh, press out there and, and uh, uh, just people talking about whether or not students actually need to be, I'm sorry, teachers actually, whether they need to be in school to do what they need to do. Um, and giving them the choice, I think, is, is great, especially given the circumstances. Yeah, I th- what teachers need is to feel safe in their teaching environment. I think we all understand that if students don't feel safe, they're not going to learn. If teachers aren't, don't feel safe, they're not going to be able to teach as effectively as they could if they, if they feel like they're in a safe environment. Because we're using technology, and, and when we stop and think about it, as I've said before, we've been using technology for years to teach at various levels, including the college level. Even before the pandemic, we had classes at our high school where students were taking college level courses virtually with professors from some major universities around the state of Texas and some community colleges as well. So this is really not anything new other than not the teachers in their room or teaching from their home. The question is, are we giving quality instruction to our students and keeping them engaged in the learning process. Now, sure, we want our children to be in person very soon. And that's the goal that we'll be working on. And we want our teachers teaching from the classroom very soon. Right now, our focus is on building this platform so that we're ready, regardless of what the issues that may come up in the next few weeks or months ahead, that if we need to go virtually online again, we have the foundation there in place to make that happen. And our teachers are gonna be well-equipped and our students are going to be experienced in this area, so they'll know what to do if that happens again. Yeah, no doubt. And it's certainly an experience that hopefully will pay dividends down the line in a lot of different ways. So let's get into, you know, the equity and English learners piece that's kind of the focus around um, this, this in this Together series. Um, you know, like many others, you've identified language development and social emotional needs as areas of concern for English learners and others as well when they're in a remote environment. 
Um, and that obviously is the case right now. Have you been able to kind of take the pulse of how those needs are being met among that uh, student group at this point, socially, emotionally, and, and language development? Oh, it's very early, so it may not be a fair question yet. No, I think it is a fair question because the social emotional learning component was already in place in our school district and in many schools around the country. I'm certain of that. We were already seeing the need to make sure that students, all students, especially EL students, are connected with a strong social emotional learning process and programs to help support them. I mean, no longer is it just the three R's or whatever the three bases, reading, writing, and, and math. Now it is also social emotional learning. And that is key to what we're doing. We have a, a, a curriculum called Project Wisdom that we're using with our students to help them work on these skills, both in their own personal life, as well as working with each other and building some character skills that will help them later on in life. I think we have finally come to realize how important social emotional learning is to any student, but especially to an EL student and any student that is struggling with some of the negative indicators that sometimes life presents them, such as English language barriers, problems with economics, and other areas that might be a breakdown of the family that might affect how they feel about themselves. So yes, uh, we're working on that area. We were already working on that area, but we're making sure that while we're going virtual, we're not leaving that area behind. So we're making sure that's part of their program that we're offering, especially these first few weeks of school is a great time since we've been disconnected with the students for quite some time to see where they are socially and emotionally and the learning will take care of itself. Yeah, you know, I've been on a lot of forums uh, with, with teachers talking about what it's going to be like to go back. And that's been the key piece, relationship building, checking in on students socially, emotionally. Um, and while they say, yes, that is very sort of difficult to do in an online environment, they're also highly cognizant of the fact that it's extremely important to do. And so they're going out of their way to create sort of strategies um, to be able to check in with students. Uh, in this in this remote environment, how about for for you know language development? Have you been able to see? And again, I know it's early, but have you been able to see sort of how these students may have been impacted um, as they were out of school, um, and and what teachers are, are are doing at this point to make sure that language development is um, you know something that's being stressed even in those content level classes? Yeah, I you know the the language development issue is. is cuts to my core. My, I began my career uh, as an ESL migrant teacher. I also taught special needs students at the very beginning. I've always been a, one to believe that uh, fundamentally, if all teachers have you know, good training in those areas, especially uh, special needs as well as language development, they're going to be ready to help all types of students, and especially EO students, as they encounter them whether they're in a specific program target for language development, or they're just in a regular class, but they need someone knowledge that have extreme knowledge about what it takes for language development to occur and what it takes for them to socially, emotionally be connected to what's going on and not feel inhibited by their language development, where, what stage they may be in. So we're definitely conscious of that right now because of the system that we're here in here in Texas, where we're administering uh, the linguistics test, the loss test, which is required connected to our state accountability system, as well as to just see how students are 
progressing in our language development. We're actually doing following protocol, uh, preventive protocol and bringing students up to do those tests in person. And we feel like that gives them the best chance to see where they are right now. And it gives us the best opportunity to see where uh, their social emotional learning is at as well. So that's been part of our strategy from the beginning is once we get this established for us, this platform for virtual learning, then we'll start bringing in students for different tests or connections to different programs that it's just really difficult to do from a distance, but following good social distancing and social PPE protocols to make it safe for them to come up and for the staff to work with them and to do those assessments in our environment where they have a greater opportunity to really demonstrate their skill level. Yeah, so it's, it sounds like you know safety, social emotional needs being met. Then we worry about where these students are, establishing a baseline and going forward. But you're not going to do you're not going to make any improvements on any of those things uh, unless and until students and teachers both feel safe, which you talked about earlier uh, today. And I think that's that's really important. You know, one thing we talked about last time that I loved, you know, you, you, as we were talking about technology uh, and this sort of new world that we're in, you, you, you sort of smiled and you talked about how, you know, we've always been, you've done it, but you did it today as well. You talked about, we've always used technology. You know, we're, we're, we're bringing education now at this point out of this industrial uh, agricultural model um, and that, that this is offering us some affordances. So there's silver linings here, which I'm hearing from, from lots of very smart people that have been doing this for a long time. And I really appreciate hearing it. So I'm curious if you've seen anything in this short time since you've been back that sort of signals um, that we're making progress on that front, and particularly as it pertains to English learners. Well, I feel good that you said you're hearing it from some smart people, because that makes me hopeful that we're going down the right road. But I think we are. I'm, I'm seeing already, and I don't want to overstate where we are, because obviously uh, research and data will be available to see where students were and where we are today and where we want our students to be in the future. I'm certainly understanding the process that it's going to take some time to truly evaluate all the things that we're talking about doing. But if you just ask for my opinion today, I think what we're doing with technology and learning and putting these devices in these homes in the children's hands around our little community it is putting us ahead of where we were pre-COVID. It is putting us ahead of where we were pre-COVID and our ability to teach children. See, our goal is to not go back. We never wanna go back and to the point where we're not teaching children. We're out, even right now, as we're dealing with uh, storms, hurricane issues in our area, in our planning, we're not planning to close down school. We're planning to make sure our students have plenty of work while electricity might be off. And in the past, all we could do is just shut down school. Well, now we can plan for possibly not being online, but here's what you need to be doing. And if you are online, here's how we're going to communicate with you. So we think we're in a better position. And as we go through this year, especially these next few weeks, it's really critical to us because we're evaluating how our performance is and how the students are performing. And we're looking around the state to see how others are operating as well. But what's going to be important to us over the next few weeks as we start bringing students into the school, 
bringing more staff into the school as we gradually increase our presence in direct on-campus instruction for those who wanted HERN campus leadership uh, teaching, then we'll be able to implement that with fidelity. And if, if we have to go back because of the pandemic or any other issue, what we've done in building this platform for the first four weeks of the school year will make it very easy, and I'll use the word for us to pivot back to what we started with. And so our goal is to not go back to not having educational programs, regardless of the situation that we might find ourselves in, in the latter months of this year or the winter months of next year. Very well said. I, you know, none of this is going to go to waste. None of this, I mean, it would, it would really, you'd really have to want it to go to waste for it to go to waste because you and other districts have sort of, you know, in some ways hastily created a patchwork of um, uh, processes and strategies and technologies to be able to, to function in this sort of new world. But as you put them all together, starting in March and going into now, now it's become not a patchwork, but, but a true educational model that can work on its own and can work in a hybrid with a face-to-face situation. And so I think what you're describing is in a perfect world, your students come back, but you've already built this thing that you have available. You have the ability to use it, as you mentioned, for if there's a storm or if students are out of school. Last time we were talking, you said, you know, when a student's out of school, there was no choice, but the student didn't, you know, they just took the day off. Now they have work at their fingertips. Um, so it's just great that we'll be, that all of this stuff that we're creating now um, is going to be able to be used no matter what happens in the future. Um, and you use the word pivot as well, which we talked about last time. I think there's going to be a lot of pivoting over the next year or so, but we have the ability to do so, whereas before, um, we were not necessarily able to do that. Yeah, I think the, the I played basketball at one time and I was left-handed and I always would go to my left with eventually a coach taught me how to pivot and go to the right. And I think that's what we're doing with education now. We know what we can do with the in-person instruction. Now we're pivoting to the online instruction and it's making it uh, more effective and more efficient. That's why, as we talked about Harvard and other schools around the country, around the world have been using technology at that level already and many of our public schools too. But for a rural school now to have uh, a connectivity with close to 90% of their students at our disposal. Let me tell you something else I experienced this week or actually last week. It is embarrassing sometimes when we talk about having events at night for parents to come up and meet with us to hear about their children and their education, educational process. Sometimes the numbers are extremely small. And, and it's not because the parents don't care. They're working parents and they've got their kids at home. And it's sometimes just hard to get in your car, drive to a school, find something for your kids to do or someplace for them to stay, attend a meeting for a few hours, and then go back home and start your routine and work again. We started last week just because we had heard of another school through a forum like this that had, was having parent academies. We thought, that's neat. So at 12 noon on Friday, we have Eagle check-in. And the Eagle, and for those who may not know, Eagle is our mascot. So we had the Eagle check-in on a Friday. And we were pleased that nearly two dozen parents checked in at 12 o'clock, like on their lunchtime or during the day when the children may have not been doing specific assignments, using their devices to hear what is going on in the school. And Steve, 
the EL community will be glad to hear that the first thing I said is next week, this coming Friday, I want two sessions, one in English and one in Spanish. And they're setting that up right now. And we're really excited about during the day where people might be at work at lunch or be at home giving their kids some children some break from working, they can get online and talk to us directly using this same technology we're using here today in the future with our parents. So I'm really excited. So that's those kind of things I think when we stop and think about it with this, you know, over 600 families we've connected, children we've connected with this year, you know, we should be able to talk more directly with parents than we've ever had before. And it doesn't cost them the time and energy to get in their vehicle and come to school to visit with us. So even after we get the children back in school, we should continue the Eagle check-ins to let them know how their children are performing, whether it's virtually or in person. Yeah, great points. And as a parent myself, I know sort of the, the difficulty of doing that at the end of a long day and trying to fit it into your routine. And I always said, why don't they just do these things remotely? And then you can even record them and send them out asynchronously, exactly. which isn't as great as being there in person, but it's, it's an option. Same for students, you know, as you're putting out lessons, these lessons are then recorded, students can watch them again. So there's just so many uh, affordances here that I think, you know, nobody wants this thing to go on for a long time. But the longer it goes on, the more we sort of develop the muscle memory of being able to accept these kinds of forms instead of the sort of tr more traditional ones that we've, that we've uh, seen over the years, whether or not they've been effective. Yeah, um, especially for a rural community. I, I yeah. have to keep prefacing that we're, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're in the rural area, and that's good numbers and a good opportunity for us to take advantage of. Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. I mean, in different, different districts are, are experiencing different challenges and yours being a rural district is that, you know, you, you get uh, that many folks there on a, on a zoom call. It definitely proves itself useful. Um, at the end of our last interview, you said something that I really liked. Um, you were talking about all the challenges that we sort of overcome given some of your own experiences. You talked a little bit about the, uh, the Cuban missile crisis, I think, and some, I think, and, and, uh, uh, and and measles and some other things that we sort of overcome. And at the end of talking about your own experiences and the challenges that we faced in education over the years, you said diversity conquers adversity. Um, love to hear any sort of examples or anecdotes uh, of that quote sort of in action um, as this new school year has, has begun to unfold. Well, as we began the school year, uh, actually the, the backdrop you see me in now is how we did our convocation for the start of the school year. And makes me think I need to change my background, Dr. Johnson. I think I need to, <laughs> you make me look no background look terrible here. No, I, I like yours too, because it shows me the sun is shining somewhere right now. It so. is, yeah, indeed. Anyway, I'm sorry, continue. Now, uh, there was three things, three speeches or remarks I had to give. First was just to my leadership team. And, you know, so I talked to them about diversity, overcoming adversity, and gave them some uh, stories that related to that, similar to what I shared with you in the audience last time. And then I talked to the leadership team and our instructional staff, all of our teachers. And again, you know, how we have to work together. But then the last remarks I gave was with the convocation where we were all together. And that included leadership, instructional teams, teachers, the custodians and maintenance workers, the cafeteria workers, the support staff, we were all there as a whole. And I reminded them that is when we're our strongest as a team. 
And that is how we can overcome. And, and when we talked about diversity, and, and of course we know this country is going through some tremendous challenges you know, with some social issues. And so sometimes when you think about diversity, we think about racial diversity. And what I assured them, what I'm talking about in this context is about diversity in skills that will help us perform better as a school district overall. I think I shared with you last time how the cafeteria workers, you know, contribute to what we were trying to achieve. The adversity was the, the pandemic and the challenge was feeding our children. But they, as a vital part of our team, did a just an important role as the teachers have in trying to teach our children and helping to ensure that our children are fed. So what I've seen recently as we've talked about this as a staff, everyone is being asked to chip in and help solve the problems. So we talk a lot about the instructional strategies that teachers are using. And I, and I, and I mentioned you last time, when I talked about the people helping our EL parents who had language challenges, those were not necessarily classroom teachers, bilingual classroom teachers. Some of them were our secretaries and clerks and different positions that they worked in the school, but they were fluent in language. Mm -hmm. Again, that is diversity working in, as a team working together. I drove by the uh, cafeteria this week and there in the cafeteria outside handing meals to our students were local clergy and community members assisting us in hand delivering these meals to our students. And they were also taking meals to other parts of the community to serve them as well. Again, that is diversity overcoming adversity. And our city, our city government just gave us a portion of their CARES funding to purchase, help us purchase over 300 hotspots, iPads, and Chromebooks for our students. So hopefully by the next time or two that we talk, I'll be telling you that we have completely put devices in all of our students' hands and we worked out the connectivity problems even for our outlier students, either by bringing them in or finding a hotspot or a system that would help make it work for, for them. So, it's a, it's a broad use of the word diversity, but it's key to us overcoming the adversity that we're facing. And the only way we're gonna get through this pandemic and beyond is us working together as a team here in Hearn and our Hearn family. And our community has been supportive. Our board, my board has been supportive. The staff is working together. So that's what I mean by diversity overcoming adversity. Yeah, thanks for putting that together for us. I think that's great. You know, top to bottom, bottom to top, everybody's lending a hand here. Um, and, and, and like there's, you mentioned that, you know, the cafeteria workers, and, and I think in particular resonates to me because, you know, those are the folks who are, who, are, who are feeding our students, which, you know, a lot of people don't think about when they think of education, they're thinking about instruction. Well, no, for a lot of students, that's where they're, particularly the students that we're talking about and focusing on here, English learners and more vulnerable students, that's the place where they are getting um, the food and the nutrition and a lot of other things that they need. So to be able to shine a spotlight on those folks who are doing amazing, amazing work, um, I think is great. So that's a nice, also a nice silver lining. And, and your, your definition of, of, uh, of diversity there is crucial too, as well, because, um, I think we can take that in a variety of different ways. Yeah. We're just talking about working as a team 
and working together and, and the importance of everyone in this team. If our maintenance workers aren't doing a tremendous job in keeping our facilities clean and safe for entry or re-entry, then that would hurt our chances to overcome the adversity of this pandemic. So everyone plays a very critical role, even in the in the students that are coming on campus to our learning centers. I'm not asking my teachers to teach virtually at the same time to go over and teach a learning center at the same time. Some of our available staff that are not teaching virtually or support staff that are not involved in direct instruction virtually, they're helping to manage those classrooms where we may have our learning centers going on at that time. And they're also doing things such as helping to create our entry program so that we're following protocol. When I walk on, on a campus, somebody is checking to make sure that I meet all the protocols to make sure I'm clear to be on that campus. So it takes us all working together to work through the challenge and the adversity uh, that we face in this pandemic and that our children are facing not having a normal start to the school year. Right. How are your teachers feeling right now? Have you been able to kind of get a pulse check on that? Well, the, the teachers are feeling good. Let me tell you why the teachers are feeling good. Because I get to see, you know, one thing about this uh, virtual teaching, especially when you have audio and vision, visual, you know, working together, you get to see the faces. You get to see the faces of the teachers. You get to see the faces of the students. And you know what I see when I get to see pictures of them working with their children, I see smiles. And I see smiles from the staff and enthusiasm. And I also see smiles from the, the students who are excited to be working with their teacher and with their other students in the class. And they're excited to a little bit about the technology they're learning to use. All the way down to the very you know, young children, you can see it in their eyes and their faces. And our teachers have just been tremendous in adapting to the new learning management system and getting themselves trained and ready to go. And I think they're very appreciative of the start that we're undertaking here in Hearn ISD, that we're making sure that they feel safe coming into this year because they're critical to these students throughout the year. And as we've seen, there's already been a few cases in our neighboring districts that started with a more robust in-person system uh, we're going to monitor that real closely as we start bringing students into our system, but it makes us feel real comfortable in starting virtually and then increasing the on-campus experience as we increase our ability to make sure our teachers feel safe and the students feel safe and the parents feel safe in bringing their children to school. So our teachers are looking positive as they are learning this new system and working with the students and our students are looking positive because we see the smiles on their faces in the classes that they're taking. Good. And yeah, I mean, it must be great for you to be able to sort of, and, and other school leaders to be able to check in, you know, on Zoom calls or anything else. It's just more, more convenient and easier in some ways, as much as, as a school leader, you love to be able to walk into a classroom and see what's going on and see the smiles of the finish. There's nothing like that, but is there a convenience in place and sort of a, uh, an easier way? Have you been able to kind of jump on Zoom calls and sort of see what was happening in, in classes? Oh, no, I stay out of, I stay out of those classrooms. Uh, they, they don't want me around there. I, I, they don't even want me around when they're in person because I create too much drama when I'm around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I let the principals and the, and the instructional coaches do the pop-ins. 
what I get to see is the pictures and the videos. <laughs> Even better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I will get to that level. But right now, I don't want to jump into their, their Zoom classrooms at this time. I want them to get very comfortable with the process. So what I get to see is the pictures. They, they make some beautiful uh, documentation for, for me to see and pictures of what they've been doing in the classroom. And that's where I get to see the faces. Now I, I stay out of the, I stay out of those pop-in rooms. Yeah. I don't blame you for now, at least. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, what, what's been your biggest surprise since we last talked that was about three weeks, two or three weeks ago now. Okay. So my biggest surprise, and again, size doesn't matter is that we've had, we made connection with over 600 students in our school system. And we're like a 700 student school system. So yeah, so I mean, I think it's important, like that's a really important clarification that like we, you know, when we were putting this series together, we wanted to make sure that we had a district like yours, that that's a rural district, a smaller district, because as you just mentioned, size doesn't matter. I mean, we have Vicki Saldala on from Broward, who has, you know, 32,000 English learners just in that one district in Florida. But it doesn't matter because she has the, you know, she has the staff to support those. So it's it, it's a really important, you know, thing to remember that we're all dealing with similar challenges here. So I just wanted to kind of put that out there for the record. Yeah, and I and, and I've worked in larger districts as well, so it's, it's I certainly understand the complexity of large systems. But children are children, you know, and we just care about kids. And if you care about kids in a large system. You certainly care about kids in small system and vice versa. I'm just saying, but if you want to do it from a data perspective, you know, per capita, we're talking about a 90% connection rate yeah. for the first week and a half of school. And under any size category, that's very significant because that means we're in the homes communicating directly with children at a 90% level. And I'm just anxious to see how that can help increase our parent involvement and parent support as we use this technology to to continue to develop that. So what I've been really excited about is the connection and and that, that number has changed. I just don't want to give you the new number until I validate it, but I think next time you'll hear an even larger number. And, And these are children that we actually are connected with, you know, in the normal setting, we may have 800 or 900 children walking in and out our doors in the course of the year. That's just membership. But I'm talking about this number is the students that are connected and online and our teachers are connected with them every day of the week. And so technically we have very few absences because this number is based off of connectivity. And so we're really pleased with that. So the thing I'm so proud of is to have that higher percentage of students that we're talking to on a consistent basis already this school year. It's pretty remarkable for a rural community in the central part of Texas. Yeah, absolutely. And congratulations on that. I mean, that speaks to all the work that you've done and the, and the, as you mentioned, the, the putting sort of the diverse group of people that you have there, whether it's cafeteria workers or maintenance folks or teachers or folks like you to kind of come together um, and resolve some of these, uh, these unprecedented challenges and, and, and make the best out of, out, of, out of some things that you're using now. Um, so you, you teased a couple things about, you know, some, some things you hope to be able to share with us in, in the next couple weeks. 
you know, we'll, we'll talk to you again then, but I'm curious what, what is, what's on the horizon? What's coming up? What can we expect sort of hear from you uh, next time? Maybe we'll do a little bit of a teaser for the next uh, episode that we have here. Well, what you're going to hear next time is, you know, while we're satisfied with our start of what we're calling Hearn Online, we're working diligently preparing for Hearn on campus. So what you'll be hearing in the future is plans that we have to start increasing the number of students that are coming to school on campus to receive their instruction. Now their, their instruction will probably still be in a virtual mode setting, but we would expect to have more students on campus receiving that type of instruction. We're also gonna target our special needs students and our special needs students will also include our EL students that need faster and more in-person language development. We're also gonna target some of our lower grade levels that really need the benefit of social relationship building and development. And then we're also talking to our secondary folks about some of the courses that really need hands-on in our career and technology area. So what you're gonna hear in the future is how we're gonna start increasing our students that are coming on campus as long as we feel confident that we have the protocols in place and can manage the students increase in staff increasing coming on the campus. You're also gonna hear about us uh, extending possibly the waiver. I think in your, your tease, you talked about four to eight weeks uh, that we might be virtual. We're going to be working on getting that additional four weeks with, allow us to go eight weeks, but that's just something as insurance uh, that we would like to have in our pocket, not knowing what's gonna happen. Right now, things are trending positively as far as the, the virus is concerned and, and managing this pandemic. So the numbers are coming down. I think you're seeing more and more people on campus every day and in the district every day, and that's a good sign. And so far, we haven't had to go through any actions such as quarantining or shutting any campuses down, even with staff and, and our support staff in place so far this year. So, but we know we're gonna have some issues, but we've been doing a lot of practice uh, training on what to do when these cases do erupt and how to respond appropriately and limit the lost time that we might have not been able to do if we weren't so well planned and prepared for what we might be facing in the future. So what you'll be hearing about is an increasing number of students coming on campus, increasing number of staff on campus working with these students, and some specific programs that we're gonna target for the first re-entry program. Well, we really look forward to that. I think that's going to be where this really gets exciting as we start bringing more folks, um, you know, on campus, including students and your model of bringing in special needs students. And then uh, those English learners are to others. Um, you know, I know uh, Lynn Mark Cologne, who's also a part of this series in Virginia is doing that as well. So it'd be interesting to see how that um, all plays out. Uh, and and I'm really glad to hear that, that it's trending. Um, things are trending positive there in terms of the the pandemic, you know, last time we spoke, you said one of the things that I think you said was that we, we can't sort of schedule around uh, an unpredictable pandemic. But when you start to see the data come in the right direction, um, then we can uh, make some changes. So really nice to connect with you again, Dr. Johnson. Um, sounds like things are going well. I wish you all the best of luck over the next couple of weeks. And, and uh, we'll connect again, um, like I said, in a few weeks and, and see where you are then. Thank you, Steve. It's good to be with you again and enjoy being a part of your show.